So if you're just joining us, before we get started, uh, let me just say we're in week four of this new series, Revelation Part 2. You can check out the first series, Revelation Part 1. We did it about a year ago, so you can check that out uh, and look at that. That's on the Bentry app, uh, so just download that. Uh, or you can also, and you should, if you haven't heard these, go ahead and listen to the first uh, three weeks of this series uh, you know, when I put together a talk, I always try to craft it with the idea of, hey, let me give you some points that would be, uh, you'd be able to use those in your life. You know what I mean? Like, uh, write these things down um, because they would work. This one is different. This series is different. As I try to put this thing together, I, I, I write this stuff down and I come at it and I go, man, my points are kind of clunky and long and i hope that you can use them but here's what it is it's the truth this is what i'm finding in this series i hope that you can use them god is wanting to say something to you uh as we get going on this uh i think god's gonna open up some things but it's a different series than what we normally do so uh i i pray that god uh, uses this series in your life and especially today I, I told BB right before I got up I said some talks weigh heavier on me you know as I'm getting ready to give those than others this is one of those not because I'm upset or anything I'm, I'm just excited about it let me give you a picture when I was growing up in Texas uh, we would go on vacation each summer and we look forward to that vacation each year uh, and the vacation was to Estes Park uh, because we loved Estes and every year we'd get ready we'd go in June it would be already hot in Texas and we would sometimes we'd get to fly but most of the time we would get uh, we would have to drive and it's about 16 18 hours and that kind of thing and I've shared before, when we would go, it'd be in a station wagon, six kids and, and two adults, and then a grandmother usually with us in that station wagon. Everything kind of loaded on top, and, and I remember we would be going across the plains, and we would be so excited to talk about Estes Park and all the hikes we would do and how beautiful it would be, and, and it would just be so long, and we'd be going across the plains of Kansas, and God bless them. I'm glad someone lives there to give us gas, you know. And, and, and we would go, hey, you know, only 50 miles to the border of Colorado. We'd go, and, and then we're almost there, right? We'd be almost, we'd be in Colorado, and we'd go like 10 miles to Colorado, two miles, one mile to Colorado, and then we'd get there, and it was like, and they had this very confusing sign said welcome to colorful Colorado and in my book brown is not one of the colors and I would say where's the mountains as a little kid I want to see the mountains you got to understand mountains are very imp uh, impressive to me uh, they play a large role in my life every day I wake up and I go I can see the mountains I love the mountains in fact, my, my parents told me that was my first word, quite literally, mountain. I guess like mountain, that was it. But there were no mountains there. We'd start driving across that eastern Colorado, and we had this game. Whoever saw the mountains first, we'd scream out, mountain, mountain. I remember playing that game, and I was watching the horizon, watching as close as I could, 
And I would go, mountain. They'd go, no, 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 that's clouds. That's clouds. And then I, mountain. No, 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 those are clouds. And then finally, mountain. Now, if you're listening online, you may not know, but you can see the mountains 150 miles out, sometimes on a clear day, 200 miles out. And so you can see those mountains just to outline it. And I would say mountain, and there it was, and it was just like this one line, just all the way out as far as the horizon goes. And as you get closer, it seems like the mountains get bigger, right? But something odd happens as you get closer to mountains, especially when you get kind of close to Greeley. In Greeley, the mountains look really big, but as you get close to where we are, you kind of go down a little bit into a valley, and so the mountains actually kind of look maybe like they were further off than they were in Greeley. And, and then as you get into the mountains, you kind of lose all sense where back in Greeley it used to look like all the mountains were like one line, right? Like this mountain and this mountain and Longs were all the same distance, but they're not. You find that mountain maybe another hundred miles back and you're looking and suddenly you're in the mountains. You can't tell where the mountain, where is that mountain I was looking at? And then you realize maybe I'm on this mountain and that. Man, I love looking at the mountains, but as you get close, you think, man, what are they doing? Now, why give you that picture? Because when we Christians look at the map of the Bible, um, and Jesus tell us, tells us we are approaching the end times, the end of the trip. We've looked at it our whole lives, maybe as Christians, and, uh, and we're looking, we're going, hey, the end times are coming. Woohoo! the mountains are almost here. And then you look as you get closer and you go, they start to change shape a little bit. They kind of change where they're sitting in, re uh, in relation to each other. And you think Jesus is coming back for more than 2,000 years. I mean, Christians have been watching that horizon, looking for the return of Jesus. Amen? Watching the sky, waiting for Jesus to take His followers home. We have this map of the end times, this guide, if you will. But we look at it, and it's pretty confusing. We think it's right there. I mean, if you look at what the Old Testament people that heard about the end times, they looked, they thought everything was like one thing. They go, Jesus is coming back, new world, everything. It's all right there. They didn't know Jesus would come first to redeem the earth. They thought it was all there. They thought Jesus is going to set up His kingdom right here. And, and they didn't think of anything about the crucifixion. The book of Revelation begins and ends with the same promise from Jesus' own lips. He says, Behold, I am coming soon. Make sure that you are ready. Make sure that you're ready. But like those mountains that take on a new look, the closer you get to them, the end times, as I get closer, have taken on a new look. We see them not in the distant future, but we can tell that they are right out there, but we can't tell how close. And we know some pretty significant events 
are going to happen. We can kind of identify what they are. And make no mistake, uh, there are a ton of crackpots out there that will try to sell you their books, try to tell you all the things you need, try to sell you food to get ready for the end times. I go, baby, you don't need food. You just need the Bible here. Even great Christian theologians, though, guys that I love and study, John MacArthur and John Piper, both come down separately on some issues. It's why so few churches study the book of Revelation in detail like we're doing in this series. I'd like to tie up some loose ends for you and, and give you kind of an acrostics and say everything starts with the letter A and does this. But i got to tell you, it's just messier than that. And, and, and as we kind of travel in our collective station wagon together towards that goal of the end times, I just want you to see what's out there. Last week we stood and we watched through the eyes of the Apostle John. We looked at the giant event that Jesus told him and revealed to him as we unleashed the four horsemen of the apocalypse, starting with the Antichrist. And we started with this giant, giant event in history, this mountain that lies before us called the Tribulation. And how it even gets bigger in the second half called the Great Tribulation out there. And last week I left you in the middle of the Tribulation. Sorry about that. But, but I wanted to take an entire week out of the series and take a look at another event. And theologians argue where this event comes. Before middle or after the tribulation and I just wanted to uh, show you where I'm at and if you're in a different place that's okay make sure that you line that up with scripture but I also want to tell you why this event matters the one that we're going to talk about today it brings up a big question that I want us to ask let me frame it to you like this if the end is near and this time of tribulation is coming, will Christians be alive and on the earth to experience this event? That's what we're going to ask today, and it's what we're going to answer. There's some that disagree, like I said, and remember, uh, there's some open-handed issues. It's okay. People come down on both sides. This is the doctrine we teach at Bent Tree. I'm going to line it up with Scripture. But if you disagree with this, doesn't mean we can't do life together. Does that make sense? We still can do life together, still do church on this. Um, the thing that I am not willing to budge on is that Jesus is coming back soon. I ain't get an amen on that one. Because He's coming back soon. Those are His words. Let's start off with a prayer. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, mm, I feel the weight of this and yet an excitement, a giddiness as we approach the end times, God, thank you for giving your son Jesus his redemptive work on the cross, the blood that covers us as believers. 
God, my prayer is that if there are unbelievers in this room or even listening online, you would speak to them and, and draw them, call them to yourself. But God, I pray that you give us supernatural eyes to be able to see what we're doing here today. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ. We all prayed and said, Amen. Amen says, so be it. I believe it. So let's get this train on the road here. Let's see. What are we asking is in a word I used last week that may be familiar to some, maybe uh, not so familiar to others. The word is rapture. Uh, you, if you've got notes, you can start right, taking some notes. Uh, we're going to cover this quickly. And I apologize, my notes are kind of clunky and long. It's just do your best to keep up. Here they are. Uh, the, the word rapture, uh, people will point out and they'll say, hey, Paul, that's not in the Bible. And I would say that's correct. It's not in English Bibles because the word is not an English word. Does that make sense? It's in the Latin text. So take a look at this. You can write this down. Rapture is Latin for repeo or repeo to snatch or carry off. And that very much is in the Bible. Does this make sense? To snatch or carry off. The way we think about the rapture for today is this. Rapture God's taking the church out of the world, this one, that we're on right now, instantaneously. It just happens in the twinkling of an eye, we'll all be gone. Does that make sense? Uh, raise your hand if you're excited about this. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you from the bottom of my heart, this is not a fairy tale. This is how it's going to go down as best I can see it from Scripture. You ready? Now hear me, hear me. There are a lot of different views on this. Good, solid people come down on this differently uh, of when and how, but all evangelicals affirm the literal return of Christ Jesus to the earth preceding an eternal state. Does that make sense? What they differ on is not if, but when. You see, the word that is used in this uh, about this event is written from Paul to the church at Thessalonica. And he is wanting to comfort them. They are facing a rough time they're going through. He says, hey, this is something to encourage you. He says this, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15. We're going to cover a lot, so watch close. Paul says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that, that we who are alive. Do you see what it's saying? He's establishing this as Scripture. This is the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is simply a euphemism for what? Those who have died, right? He's talking about people who are alive when the Lord returns. For the Lord Himself, that's Jesus, will descend from heaven with a cry of command. This is a military word here. 
He's giving the command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet. All of those are military things there. You see what's happening? Jesus gives the command, then the voice of the archangel carries it out, and then a bugle sounds or a trumpet sounds. You got the picture? And the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who, it said earlier, had fallen asleep. That's the euphemism. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. This is peo, right? This is rapture. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. Up above. And so we'll always be with the Lord. How long will we be, will we be with the Lord? Answer it. Always. This is the gig right here. This is what we call the rapture. It's Jesus Himself returning for His church, the real Christians, and the snatching away instantaneous, the church to be with Him in heaven. We're going to cover this more in the next three weeks in this series, but the purpose of the rapture is this. You'll want to write this down. All believers on earth taking them to heaven so that judgment will not fall on them during the seven years of tribulation. So that judgment will not fall on them. At the end of those seven years, we, all the believers in heaven, will return for the great day of the Lord uh, and Jesus will set up His kingdom on earth. We're going to be studying that weeks to come. Well, we know what the rapture is, but why the rapture? What purpose does it serve? And important, it's not just so we miss the bad stuff. Although that's a good thing, right? Although we don't know uh, when we will get there, uh, we have a pretty good idea of the order of the rapture, and I'll show you what that looks like. Let me see if I can give you some context. The Old Testament prophet Joel, this is in the Old Testament, said this, Joel 2.31 he said, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Two things. We read this in Revelation. It's saying that is the quoting. So this was the prophecy going back in time. But look at this. Before the great day, an awesome day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. You might want to write that down. It's an important concept. The sixth seal that we read last week where we ended in the prophecy in Revelation. Uh, this is where we're at, but check this phrase out. The great and awesome day of the Lord. That day of the Lord began Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. That's the great day of the Lord and stretches through this time we're living in now and then culminates on one day not the rapture. The last day when Jesus returns to set up His throne on earth. Does that make sense? So we're talking about two different times here. This is huge to understand. Old Testament prophets told us about a cleaning 
judgment or a refining judgment for the nation of Israel. They called it Jacob's trouble. Look at this. Jeremiah 37, another Old Testament dude. He said, alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. How many are like it? None. He's talking about the day of the Lord. It is a time of distress for Jacob. Jacob is another way to say the nation of Israel or God's people, i.e. you and God's people. Yet he shall be saved out of it. This is good news. It will be a time of distress for Jacob, the nation of Israel, yet he shall be saved out of it. Let that last line sink in. This is important to understand. The Apostle Paul told us this about God's protection in that terrible time, that refining, that the church would miss, check this out, God's wrath. Stay with me. I know this is some heavy stuff. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Paul says, For God has not destined us, believers, for what? We're not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Someone say amen. That's good news. Think of it this way. When we become a Christian and our sins are cleansed, we are forgiven, right? But we're also given the righteousness of Jesus. We're credited with Jesus' righteousness. Look at this. We are described uh, this way in Galatians 3.27. It says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Think like a big coat. You're putting on this coat. Have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no, there is no male or female. For you are, say it with me, all one in Christ Jesus. Where are we in this picture? We are in Christ Jesus. Are you tracking with me? You tracking with me? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So go with me. For a believer, any believer in Jesus Christ to go through the tribulation would mean that Christ is going through God's wrath, the tribulation. Does that make sense? Some of you are not buying it. Go with me. We know that Christ has already faced God's wrath. When? On the cross. He doesn't have to go through it again. Do you understand? This is not just semantics. Baby, you've got to believe me on this. True believers are one in Christ Jesus. We are seen by God as holy as Christ Himself. For us to go through wrath falling on the world would mean that His church, the body of Christ, was getting punished with God's wrath again. He can't. Do you understand? Now remember our four safety instructions for this ride. You remember? Come every week. Don't miss anything. Two, there's some strange symbolism. Lean into that because it takes us actually deeper. The third thing is 
Drop your preconceived ideas. Let Scripture interpret this. Don't let this book divide us. You can disagree with this uh, with a brother or sister in Christ and still do life together. Let me repeat, this is not a point to divide on. You go, well, Paul, why cover it? Why cover it? I feel pretty passionate, that's why. Because I think it helps us understand what we need to think about as we're in our station wagon heading towards this end time. What do we need to do? What do we need to prepare for? Let's take a look at six quick clues to point out the rapture is before, before these, uh, the, before the tribulation. Number one, you ready? You're going to write, write fast. Number one, the church on earth is not mentioned again after Revelation chapter 3. It's not mentioned again on earth after Revelation chapter 3. If you remember last year when we did this series, for those of you that were here, we looked at these seven churches in Asia Minor. Certainly there were more churches than that, but these were kind of, each one was kind of a, a, a picture of the kind of church. And two of those churches were real good. Most of them were kind of average, and, uh, and one of them was an apostate church. Last year we studied that. But after the third chapter, the church is not mentioned again. We get into chapter 4, and that uh, starts that revelation, the throne room of God. Are you tracking with me? Number two, I told you these were long and clunky. Here it is. Number two, there are no warnings given to the church of what to do in the great tribulation. Does that make sense? There's no warnings given. like, hey, when you get there, do this. Only a blessed hope of being united with Christ. That's the only picture that we get for the church. What's Revelation hits. Here's what I mean. Jesus tells us we'll have trouble and he even calls it tribulation. You remember that? But he says this kind of tribulation is the everyday trials, the persecutions that you'll face. Look at this when Jesus says this in John 16, 33. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I have said these things to you that, that in me you may have peace. He says, I want you to know you need to have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Sometimes people take this tribulation and they go, well, that's the great tribulation. He's just saying tribulation of life. Baby, life is hard. That's what he's saying, but I want you to know I've overcome the world. This tribulation Jesus is talking about is everyday trouble Christians face. Number three, hear this. It does not make logical sense for the rapture to occur at the end of the tribulation as Jesus is returning to set up His kingdom. When Jesus returns to set up His kingdom, He will ride, and we're going to study this in weeks to come, with an army, and that army is you and his heavenly angels. Riding white horses and coming down is the picture and setting up his kingdom here. 
We're going to look at this in detail. Here's my point. Why would he rapture the dead and us who are still living to go up and then come down? Does that make sense? This scripture that we're looking at, let's look at it again. 17, this is that scripture. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, the dead that have gone on, in the clouds, up, to meet the Lord where? In the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We will ascend to Him, right? The dead first, then the people that are left on earth. Why would we ascend to glory simply to come down instantaneously? It simply doesn't make sense. We'll get to this later on, but take a look at this. This is Revelation 19. And this is the time when Jesus returns with us. The great day of the Lord. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following Him on white horses. I get excited about this. Anybody else get excited about this? This is good stuff. Because we are with Him when He returns. We believers are part of His heavenly army. Number four, here it is. Jesus makes a promise to the church in Philadelphia. This is one of the seven churches. And to us, Christians, to keep us from the hour of trial that is coming to the whole world. This is probably the most powerful example for me. For just a moment, let's go back to the series Revelation Part 1. Do you remember that? We did it a year ago. Chapter 3, verse 10, out of the seven churches mentioned uh, in those first three chapters, the church of Philadelphia is called the faithful church. What he does is he talks about each church. He says, this is what you're doing wrong, this is what you're doing right. If you do right, this is what you will get. Do you remember? This is the faithful church. This is the best one. Here it is. Jesus says to Christians, He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. Hang on right there. Where else did we see an open door in this series? Into heaven, into the throne room of God. This is Paul's opinion. Same door. Same door. I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have a little power, but a little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan say that they are that they are Jews and are not, but lie. That's a group that was persecuting that church. He says, Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. You with me so far? Watch this. And then they learn that I and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Folks, he's talking about the tribulation. 
He's saying, I'm going to keep you. Now, he's talking to the church at Philadelphia. But we can extrapolate from all of that. He's talking to all believers here. I believe this. The argument against this is that the Philadelphia church would die before the rapture. I would say that's actually, actually a reason to believe the rapture. It's that last line that it's coming on the whole world. Those who dwell on the earth. And then right after that, chapter 4 starts the throne room of God. Does that make sense? I know this is a lot. Hang with me. Number five, I think this is probably going to be the strongest reason right here. But then look at number five. Here it is. Jesus told his disciples, let not your heart be troubled when thinking about his return. Jesus told his disciples, let not your heart be troubled when thinking about his return. On that night, Jesus was betrayed uh, by one of his own, turned over to the Sanhedrin to face kind of a, a, a puppet trial, right? He was beaten and then killed, crucified, laid in the tomb, would rise on the third day. You remember in that upper room when they were celebrating communion, he was washing their feet. It was a very important time. He was telling me, he goes, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm about to be crucified. Judas had left at that point. He said, I'm going to be turned over. He's telling them everything. And they're freaking out, right? They're like going, how can this be? Why? Because they had always seen the mountains in the horizon. They thought Jesus would come and set up his earth and judge everybody and thought it was right there. It's like seeing the mountains from Greeley. But now that they were there at the mount, Jesus was about to die. They didn't understand. They go, this doesn't make sense with what we know. That's why I'm saying don't hang on to your preconceived ideas. He's saying, look, I want you to understand. I'm going to be handed over. He says, I'm going to go where you cannot come. We'll preach on this someday where he goes on those three days. He's dead. It would blow your mind. I want you to see what Jesus says to his disciples. He says to you as well, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. He's talking about heaven here. If it were not so, would I, I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may also be. And you know the way where I am going. Powerful words. So, for the last one, I want to give you a reason that I've alluded to. But, let me explain it just a little bit more fully now. You ready? Number six. The righteous presence of the Spirit on earth, working through the church, holds back the flood of evil that will be released during the tribulation. Last week we saw Jesus break the seals on those four horsemen. You remember? Started with the Antichrist, went through those different horsemen there. It starts and it's in a matter of maybe days, weeks, or months, the world turns 
violent and lots and lots of people die. I think that probably happens probably all within the first year. Let me ask a question. Who thinks the world has some rotten, evil stuff going on? Just raise your hand. I agree with you. Like this week, you probably read a nationwide sex trafficking schemes uh, was broken. 84, 85 children rescued. you see that? Broken out of it. These kids were being sold for sex. 18 of those kids were in, were in Colorado. Did you see that? One, the youngest, three months old, had been sold for $600 for sex. And you go, man, can it get worse? Oh, yeah. It can get worse. It can get much worse than that. Praise God, there are men and women that fight against this stuff. The police, you guys working on this kind of stuff. The FBI, you're doing good work. I would argue if you took the police, the FBI, and suddenly no policemen anywhere, what would happen? Stuff would get bad really quick. Now, not as bad here in Colorado because we're armed to the teeth, right? But, but it'd get bad really quick. Quick, here's what the Apostle Paul says about this specifically. This one's not easy. You go with me. This is good stuff here. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. That's what we're talking about. Lawlessness. Satan at work on earth. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Who restrains evil on earth? Here's the answer. The Holy Spirit working through the church. Does that make sense? For the mystery of the lawlessness, when lawlessness is already at work. Evil's already here. Only he who now restrains it, the Holy Spirit, will do so until he is what? Out of the way. Why would he be out of the way? Because the rapture. All the believers are about to be gone, baby. And then the lawlessness, lawless one will be revealed. This is the Antichrist, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of His mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of His coming. Lots of stuff. Don't lose me. Don't lose me. Look at this. He will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill. That that was seven years apart. Do you see that? This is when Jesus will kill when He comes back to set up His kingdom. This is clearly talking about the Antichrist. Satan working through Him during the days of tribulation. Right now. It's a battle between good versus evil. And we see it every day. But the good seems to be losing out on the planet, doesn't it? What will happen when the church completely goes away? Every believer on the face of the earth. I'm telling you, evil will spread like crazy. By the way, that picture we read about last week with the four evil horsemen being let loose on the earth is 
that picture. In other words, the end time starts with the rapture of every believer going home. Right now, the Christians, the church, has the Holy Spirit working in our lives, keeps evil at bay, at somewhat there is a right and wrong. I don't mean to give you a history lesson, but even our laws in the United States are based on Scripture, Old Testament laws. It's based on biblical foundings. And no, it's not perfect. Think of it this way. Back when B.B. and I got married, we were given this old chest freezer. It had that contact paper, you remember, like you could make it look like it was wood. Uh, we were given this thing, and, and there was a catch. Was a family member had bought a cow at a local uh, 4-H auction and, and had that thing slaughtered, but he didn't have enough space for it. He said, so I got this old freezer. You used the old freezer. He said, uh, but I'm going to fill it with a cow. And then we filled that up, and then a regular freezer in our house. You got that picture? And so we started using the, the meat that was in our freezer in the house. But I always like worry because that thing was old out there. And so every time I would walk by it in the garage, this chest freezer, I would look and, and there was this little light. And it was like going, you know, it was like just flashing a little bit. And I was like, whoo, whoo. We got back. I think it was from vacation or something. And I got back and I walked in the house and I thought, I didn't see that light. So I walked back out and I stood there. There's no light flashing on the freezer. So I thought, I'll get down close to it. Kind of wipe the limbs off. Look at it. It's not flashing. There's no sound coming from this freezer. And I'm like going, this is like a horror movie. As I opened it up, it had been off for more than a week. Uh, it was like, I get that, just that little bit of... Folks, when believers leave this earth, it will go rancid very quickly with sin. Do you see what I'm saying? It's going to go bad quickly on this. So when is the rapture happening? The answer is 3.36 a.m. this Thursday. Be ready outside the church parking lot. <laughs> I don't know. For those of you listening online, that was a joke. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know when it will be. I mean, you've got whole churches that like have been born denominations from some whacked out guy going, I know when it is, even though God said you won't know, they're doing, uh, they come up with dates and they orient their lives around that. I think that's the reason we don't know the date because if we did know the date, uh, we would, check this out, we would worship the date. We would say, hey, everything, I would, I would like, I'd like bounce my last check. How about you? Like I would, you know what I mean? I'd like, yeah, like $10,000 for the tip. You know, I'd like. Look at this. But this is what Jesus said about his return. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. This is just weird. Nor the Son, 
but the Father who? Only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, no one knew that it was about to flood the earth. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Let that sink in just a second. The point is that he will come for his church. And we've got to be ready. Let me leave you with a thought and I'll land the plane. What will happen if someone's not a Christian when the rapture happens? Or they think they do, but they're not really. The answer is they're left behind. They will face the tribulation. We're going to be talking about that specifically in coming weeks here. What does that look like for those who are left? And then what does it look like for us as we are in heaven, what does it feel like? What does it look like? How are we living there? It's going to get crazy up in here. It's going to get crazy. Let me say this to you. The biggest fear that I have, this is a holy fear, so it's one that God has given me. It's like, watch out. This is the one I face, the, the elders face, the leaders face, is that people that are sitting here or listening online may think that they are a Christian, but in reality they're not. That terrifies me. That you would sit under the teaching of this church and go to hell. Like I'm like that just keeps me up at night. Pray with me. Bow your head. 